Welcome to episode 92 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Welcome back to another episode. We have a great interview to get to, so I will just give a few little tips and things. I wanted to share some of the items for my office that I have splurged on lately. Oh, yeah, you have a new me. office, right? I do, I do. Well, since we, we moved this last summer, right. um, and I finally uh, upgraded from like a, I don't know, Rubbermaid box that was my footstool because I'm only five foot four and you know need to sit comfortably. And I just bought a from Amazon a nice like uh, memory foam footrest that goes under my desk. So that's been one thing. And in adjusting to the new office, my office used to be kind of like upstairs and tucked in a corner, and now it's kind of in a front room with that has French doors, and so it's a little noisy. And so I did find um, some of those uh, door guards that kind of go on the bottom. It's almost like a pool noodle, but that connects to your right, door. Right, yeah. And that's dampening some sound, I think. And I might add some, I'm trying to think of some more things like that to kind of dampen sound because I have a very open house now and sometimes there's a lot of noise in the background. So those are two of the things. And then things in the past I've done is invest in a good chair and, uh, Gaming chairs are a really good place to look for that. Some brands that are designed for gaming chairs are great to look at. But just thinking about things that make it more comfortable, that uh, make it easier to be in your desk, at your desk, and in a chair all day, every day. (laughs) True, true. And I've I've gotten a gaming chair too. So I yeah, and I'm not always sitting. all day, uh, but it, it does make a difference. Mm-hmm, for sure. And, uh, you know, we, we just moved and yes, into a new so townhouse. setting up a new office too. And so I have an office and I wanted a new desk, but um, I didn't want to buy it. <laughs> so, so I went on Facebook. Uh, what is it? Facebook. Marketplace. Marketplace. Yep. Yes. And and found a desk that was free here locally where I am in Medina, Ohio. And I was able to go out and get this desk. And it turned out to be perfect for what I wanted. But uh, what was uh, explained to me that this was a banker's desk from about 40 years ago. So it's an old desk, but it mm-hmm. looks doesn't look like it's 40 years old. This was the heaviest piece of furniture that our movers had to move. <laughs> it, and I put my office upstairs uh, oh, in, a, in a, no. one of the bedrooms. And I thought these guys, and it took like five of these guys to move this desk. And that's after taking the drawers out and all that stuff. This thing is built, I don't know what wood it is, (laughs) but I can't move this desk. I have to get my son in. Just if I want to move it like an inch, I have to get, it's like a major ordeal. So it's It's, not my Ikea particle board (laughs) furniture? (laughs) No. 
this this thing could be used in a bomb shelter. I mean, you could get under it and and you know, if we have a tornado here or something, I'm getting that's under the this, shelter. Yeah. I'm getting under this desk because I'll be safe. Because that's how heavy this thing is. Um, so I I my hat is off to the guys that lug this thing up <laughs> up the stairs. <laughs> and they did say, you know, I told them, I said, you know, this was a 40-year-old desk, it was a banker's desk. They said, I bet that banker wasn't on the second floor, was he? (laughs) Maybe not. Probably not. Probably not, because most banks aren't two story. Yeah. He says, I'm sure they were on the, he was on the, he or she was on the first floor. This dang thing. Anyway. So, um, so I love my new desk, though. It is, it worked out fine. I think the guys have healed up now from all the straining and, and they've, um, it's it's set up and I'm 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 in business. So, okay. um, on the show today we do have someone that's really uh, fun and and someone that I have followed for quite some time. Uh, she and I met several years ago, but it's uh, Sue Ann Lee, and she is a professor at Texas Tech University, and she's been doing a lot of research on telepractice and looking at different outcomes for, of uh, in-person treatment versus telepractice treatment. And so I'm really excited to talk with her. Hi, are you creative? Do you want to give a webinar or teach a course? Maybe you're a writer. Do you want to create a blog? Maybe you have an idea for a podcast. Whatever your passion is, We at 3C Digital Media Network want you to be a content creator so we can bring your ideas to life. So, to get started, visit our website at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and sign up to be a content creator. We look forward to seeing your passions come to life on our platform. Well, Dr. Sue Ann Leith, welcome to the podcast. Would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Sue Ann Lee. I'm a professor of special language pathology at Texas Tech University Health Science Center, Lubbock, Texas. And I'm a, I'm a uh, first generation of uh, Korean American speech language pathologist in the United States. Mm-hmm. That is great. So, so. Uh, so, Ben, how did you get into speech language pathology? How did that come about? Oh, speech language—how I studied my speech mm-hmm. language pathology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a very interesting story that I can—I like to share. Sure. I came to United States 25 years ago to study speech language pathology because, at that time, no Korea university offers speech language pathology program. So I was I was a special education teacher, and I when I taught you know uh, children with the cerebral palsy and the mental retardation and then you know and then autism spectrum disorders, and one of the mom uh, in my class asked me why my child cannot talk. How can I help him to talk? You know, so that major concern was the old communication ability. But special education has a very diverse, you know, interest in education in general for children with a handicap. So I 
didn't have a much uh, intensive learning about child speech language development as well as uh, uh, assessment and intervention. So I feel that I need to learn more, but I don't know how because uh, you know speech language pathology program was not available in Korea and then even we don't have a speech language pathology profession at that time. So I studied, you know, how I can help the communication science and disorders. And then I heard, found that there is a speech language pathology major in the United States. So I diligently study, you know, English. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then all of these are required, you know, uh, exams. And then I was admitted to graduate program. Mm-hmm. So that's why I came to United States to study speech language pathology. After I finished my master at Ohio State University, and then I continued to pursue my PhD at University of Texas in Austin. And then after that, that I become faculty member and then teach American students, <laughs> you know, at the speech language pathology department. So it has been so exciting, you know, uh, to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did That's you really come? A full yeah, circle ahead. moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm the first two international, you know, SLP students. And then when I studied speech language pathology, not very many international students, especially from Asia, you know, mm-hmm. were in the in North in the speech language pathology program at that time. Mm-hmm. And does uh uh South Korea continue not to have a SLP program? Oh, I major? thank you for asking. I have to say that situation is totally different. And then actually right after I left, there was a, some even program, but I was not fully aware of that. That's why maybe um, uh, that's, that's why I came. But um, right after I you know, left the actually one university offers start to offer speech language pathology, you know, undergraduate program and then graduate program too. So as far as I know, right now, uh, over 50 university offer speech language pathology uh, program in South Korea. And then also they have a many uh, several uh, professional association like uh, ASHA. So then all of these are uh, research and uh, practice is uh, very, very active. And then actually a speech pathology major and then profession and then professionals are very fully developed in South Korea right now. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. And, and so when you came to the United States, did you come by yourself or did your, your family come with you? How did how did that work? Yeah. So when I uh, introduce myself to my students, you know, for first class, mm-hmm. I say, you know, that's why I came to United States to study speech language pathology. When I ca- came to United States, I brought the two big luggage, same as <laughs> my height, and then <laughs> arrived at <laughs> Columbus, Ohio airport by myself. Mm-hmm. I did wow. not have any friend, any relatives in the United States. And then wow. I told my students that probably I was a little crazy. 
<laughs> I, I would say courageous. How's that? Yes. You were courageous. Right. Courageous and then brave, but a little bit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. oh, that's that's amazing that you would, you know, come to the United States by yourself, just move mm-hmm. here to study um, in a language that is not your native language. And then you can imagine that how yeah. challenging it is, right? At that time, you know, understanding about, you know, um, that cultural diversity was not mm-hmm. fully recognized. Mm-hmm. So situation is totally different. And I'm very glad that, you know, Asia, you know, emphasized multiculturalism and then cultural competency. But it has been, you know, 25 years that I see the changes, you know, and then we still, you know, see some microaggressions and then, you know, mm-hmm. some, mm-hmm. you know, issues, right, related to, you know, racism and then, you know, mm-hmm. ethnicity and then these are cultural backgrounds still exist, but we we see changes, you know. Uh, so obviously, you know, moving uh, positive direction, obviously, compared to, you know, 25 years ago. But yeah. I'm not the only one. There's also other, you know, um, Asian faculties, and then there's the Asia uh, Pacific, you know, Asia Caucus. We have uh, over, you know, 200, I'm not sure exactly, but 200 members. So, you know, we have uh, actually a growing number of Asian and Pacific Icelander as well as uh, Indian, you know, you know, uh, Hindi background, you know, people too. So it's mm-hmm. getting growing, but my understanding is only 0.4% of the Asian members are from Asian background. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and that's something we have to work on, you know, more diversity within our field in terms of who becomes a speech language pathologist or audiologist. Mm-hmm. Because if we understand the value of the uh, speech language pathologist with the diverse linguistic background, you know, uh, then it encourages, you know, our field to become more diverse. So that is uh, my passion too. I'm currently a multicultural issue board member, so that we are also working on this. And then I uh, also submit the um, general articles with my multicultural issue board members last December regarding anti-Asian, you know, sentiment. So we have uh, some, you know, movement and then action so that let other people know about the, you know, the situation and then try to, you know, find the way to improve the situation. Right. That's, mm-hmm. that's great. And, you know, I, we struggle, you being on faculty, me being on a faculty of of recruitment and then trying to recruit um, diverse students. And mm-hmm. uh, it is it is continues to be a a real issue. So I'm so glad you are working on these issues, and especially for uh, Asian Americans or or even outside the United States who want to come and study and become a speech language pathologist like you did. Yeah, I like to be a little, you know, model so that at least, uh, you know, uh, Asian students in the United States see that, oh, 
there's some Asian looking professor in my, mm-hmm. you know, profession. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So that it doesn't totally, you know, make her feel that separate from, you know, rest of the, you know, students. And then also, you know, uh, I actually, you know, uh, is very closely related to that why I was interested in, you know, tele, you know, practice. Mm-hmm. But also I served as a, a Fulbright U.S. scholar 2019 right. and then work uh, in Vietnam. Uh, so when I offer some courses at the Huey University of Medicine Pharmacy, and I encourage them to come to United States, you know, because of Vietnam is a very similar situation uh, to Korea 25 years ago, you know, mm-hmm. currently no speech language pathology program. So my passion is, okay, I came to United States 25 years ago at that time, Korea speech in Korea, speech pathology was not developed, but now Korea is fully developed. Then what should I do? So then I feel that my mission is actually to help the on other developing country, not Korea. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh, so that help them to help them develop the speech language pathology program. So I'm very honored to uh, be selected as a Fulbright scholar, which is the very, not very many, you know, speech language pathology and audiology profession uh, is was selected as a Fulbright scholar. So I one of the few, and then uh, I try to deliver, you know, how wonderful this profession is in other countries. Mm-hmm. So I try to be a, you know, like a, messenger, you know, ambassador about the culture, multiculturalism, and then also speech language pathologist. I think you make a wonderful ambassador. So yeah, that's (laughs) that's wonderful. Yeah, thank you. So you hinted a little bit towards how you got into telepractice. Tell us more about that. Yes. Okay. So there's some direct and then very indirect motivation. My direct motivation was after I, you know, switch my uh, institution, which is the current institution, Lubbock, Texas, that I realized that patients, you know, drove, you know, two to three hours Mm -hmm. from the small town in West Texas and then receive, you know, therapy, 35 you know, therapy, and then drive another two to three hours. And then I feel that we need to pro, we need to have some alternative service delivery model. How come we ask them to drive? So that there's so many, you know, cancellation because the child is sick, mother is busy, and then child, little brother is sick, and car <laughs> is the issue, you know. So I really feel that you have to be something else, you know, but I studied, you know, Columbus and then Austin. So I, and, and then I'm from foreign countries. So I didn't know about the rural, you know, situation in United States. So right. it was a kind of, you know, a uh, little shocking to me. And then 
you know, I came to United States because uh, I thought that speech-language pathology profession is uh, fully developed in this country. There's no underserved population in this country. <laughs> that is uh, my, you know, understanding as a foreign, you know, right. background, you know, uh, professionals. But when I, uh, my observation is different, you know, there's uh, some small town, there's no speech language pathologist and that person drove, you know, long distance. So luckily the speech, uh, the Texas State University Health Science Center is a, a medical, you know, uh, school, you know, medical, we have a medical health related major only so that we have a medicine, school of medicine and school of pharmacy. So, after you know, I thought about the, all of these uh, option. Then, when I walked down the street, I saw that telemedicine announcement in the school of medicine. You know, uh, and then I say, "What's the telemedicine?" And then I start to learn about the telemedicine, and then I realized that in our profession. Similar service delivery model is called the telepractice. And then Asia just, uh, you know, very, you know, interested, get interested in telepractice, you know, uh, in 2010. So then I thought that, oh, this is it. You know, it's like a really like a, you know, uh, like a aha moment. And I'm so glad, you know, that I found some solution. So by that time, I tried to seek how can I learn this? You know, how can I learn this so that I I found the you know name the Todd Hassan and then you know sort of the these are you know well known you know pioneers and then I and then one of the good you know um, character that I you know have is as you can see I came from Korea you know because I want to study, right? So if I want to study something, I'm not afraid of approaching people, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm just approaching, you know, Todd, and then tell me about what you did, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I gather some uh, information from others. And so that's why I started, you know, telepractice and then, um, I'm actually more my um, my job my you know my position is not uh, more focused on research actually so I'm naturally you know very interested in you know uh, telepractic research instead of just doing practice only so I have conducted uh, several telepractic study but so I try to even though I try you know to participant but I try to you know develop some good design so that you know I can disseminate it you know the results so that you know we have an evidence-based we can uh-huh. do evidence-based telepractice instead of just the, I gain some experience right mm-hmm. yeah so that is my uh direct motivation but as you you know so my direct motivation is the healthcare you know disparity you know because mm-hmm. i really concern about people you know who are underserved you know right so that is a you know 
whatever reason, I'm very interested. You know, these are underserved population. That's why I was so passionate about, you know, passionate about um, telepractice. But again, my indirector, my like, uh, you know, internal motivation is I always like to help the people who need, you know, speech language pathology services. I think that that is kind of my, you know, uh, internal motivation, no matter United States is in Vietnam, in Cambodia, Mongolia, you know, anybody who need speech language pathology services, but they're not, you know, they're underserved, then I try to, you know, find a way to help them, you know. Mm-hmm. So that is my um, internal motivation. And then for the West Texas situation that I tried to find, you know, way to solve their, you know, uh, this um, healthcare disparity issue, which is, uh, I thought that telepractice is a, you know, good solution. Right. Mm-hmm. But you, you mentioned the research aspect and yes. uh, I seem to recall when, when we met, all those years ago, you were you were looking at phonological issues. Yes. Mm-hmm. So my uh, specialty is the uh, uh, pediatric speech sound disorders, mm-hmm. and so that I look at their speech characteristics and then phonological, you know, characteristics. So the one that I uh, want to study it. Uh, for my telepractice research was how I uh, treat, you know, uh, speech sound disorders, and then also how I um, treat the phonological awareness skill in children with the hearing loss. So these right. are the two projects that I started with, and then especially Todd um, had a good experience with the, you know, young children with the hearing loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. But my uh, clinical population is more school-age children, so that I like to, uh, I was more interested in, you know, providing direct services. And then, you know, that interest still lasts. So uh, my population was uh, very diverse, so that I treat, we treated, my study included children, school-age children with the hearing loss, school-age children with the speech sound disorders, and then school age children with language disorders, and then also school age children with the club palette. So I try to explore or whether these are service delivery model is uh, equally effective for all of these are uh, you know different diagnoses. Yeah. And and, and I, what? Go ahead. I was just gonna say I have to appreciate that at that you were so broad as a someone who works in the schools because we don't get to pick and choose. <laughs> certain mm-hmm. populations that we get to see and specialize in. So it's always good to know that like this has been tested across different populations. Yeah. You know, um, I really like to see, I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, we always say the telepractice for telepractice may not for everybody. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But, you know, we need to conduct the more, you know, well-designed research studies, you know, to provide the evidence. That right. is, a, you know, that is a, my job I consider. So we specifically, you know, carefully select the population. And then I try to, you know, test the telepractice with the different types of children and then find the, what kind of difficulty they have. And then how I going to, you know, uh, 
provide a better telepractice, you know, uh, you know, circumstances. So, and then I tried to, you know, write down all of these information in my paper so that, you know, readers can get mm-hmm. the information Then then give them idea how they are going to do if they want to, you know, do research project, telepractice project with the, these are, you know, populations. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And as a, as a quick summary, what did you find? Oh, I found actually telepractice is really working. (laughs) You know, if somebody uh, question, you know, if somebody question, then uh, I really can say, you know, telepractice is really working. So even my second study, we working on, we're working on the very severe phonological disorders, you know, so that Mm -hmm. even he was uh, six years old, but you know, major sound that he he showed the uh, phoneme collapse with uh, so many different phonemes, so that almost his speech speech is like a, you know, if I said that this is you know this is the red table, then he say that they 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 you know it's always D this. right? Yeah, it's always D. Everything is D. Yeah, did 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 like this, mm-hmm. you know. So everything was D. And then um, so you know, but after we we actually, you know, use the multiple opposition, you know, approach, mm-hmm. which is very powerful, you know, for severe mm-hmm. phonological disorder. So we carefully designed and then we target, you know, larger number of his, you know, target sound. And then after 16. Yeah, it was a little bit longer. So I believe that there was a um, 16 week. And then because we uh, also have a multiple baseline design so that we have a three phases and then, you know, multiple phonemes targeted. So they all together, we targeted, you know, 12 phonemes, you know, one semester, you know, and then post-test result is amazingly different, you know, from the pre-test. And then whenever I, you know, play that, you know, child production to students, they amazed that how come child, you know, change their phonological, you know, system uh, that much. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a very successful because uh, in terms of the, you know, multiple opposition, because we choose the right approach, but also, I show that, you know, we can use, you know, telepractice, you know, to treat these uh, severe phonological disorders. But I'm going to tell you that, um, but because, you know, um, so far uh, I try to specify, you know, the targets, you know, very specific target because of previous studies, you know, generally target, you know, because of they follow some, you know, um, school because they provide the service to within the you know school services so that they cannot choose the target you know what i'm saying right yeah yeah, yeah. so it is not a more than research studies is a it there's a, so many variables they are not well controlled you know to me right. really, yeah but my study is very much you know uh 
specifically designed, you know, research experiment, you know, so that I can see direct, you know, treatment effect, you know, on mm-hmm. each population, you know, in each uh, participant. But still, still, you know, if I use the multiple, you know, baseline design, single subset, multiple baseline design, then I do not have a control group, right? And then right. another thing is, you know, when I do phonological awareness, you know, test uh, experiment, but I still, you know, when I had a telepractice group and then in-person group, mm-hmm. I cannot control every variable. So mm-hmm. one of the, you know, biggest difference is when we use the telepractice, we typically, you know, present the material, right, on screen mm-hmm. so that it looks like a static, you know, right, material. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in the uh, real uh, in-person therapy, sometimes we use the objects, you know, some, you know, various other activities, right? Yeah. Right. So right. those materials are very different between telepractice setting versus the in-person setting. So, Experimental wise, that is a really big flow, actually. Right. Yeah. And, and is, then, it, is it the materials or the service delivery mo- right. so uh, modality? The mix, right. So then, yeah. if we want to really test the service delivery model, then we have to be a little bit carefully, you know, design all of these other variables. But in the real therapy session, that is not possible, right? So my latest study, it has not, you know, uh, published yet, but what I did is actually, it's uh, it's not a really uh, intervention, but we uh, try to, you know, teach a child, I'm sorry about that. (laughs) Uh, So try to, uh, teach a certain language concept with the very controlled, you know, environment, you know, mm-hmm. um, the testing environment, so that we really see telepractice service by delivery model only, you know, effects, you know, their um, mm-hmm. learning. And then we really found that, you know, there's no difference, you know, child, you know, learn, so, you know, our target, you know, language concept through telepractice and then in-person, you know, such settings very much equally. So we are very, very, you know, pleased that this is a really strong evidence. You know, it is not even not a real, you know, intervention situation, but I really convinced that, you know, delivery model effect is, uh, you know, pretty you know same so it's going to we are you are about to submit that you know uh, article to um asia journal i hope that it give a more convinced uh, you know uh you know feeling to especially pathologists who rely on this telepractice service delivery model because we may be always you know suspect that oh is it really you know, same, or if we deliver, you know, uh, service in person, maybe it's better, you know, but I really believe that telepractice, you know, to not, you know, the effect is the no, you know, less, you know, worse than, you know, in person, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. 
Was there anything that you guys found in your research that like makes good or bad telepractice is a lack of a better way to describe it, but certain factors in the telepractice itself that make it so it is more effective or as effective than it as in person. But, you know, um, I, you know, uh, in order to, um, I really want to investigate whether what kind of factors are affecting, you know, on telepractice, you know, so my first, uh, you know, way to explore is the whether telepractice is, uh, you know, equally effective for different, you know, children with a different diagnosis, you know, that is the number one. But okay. also, you know, number two is, you know, if uh, when we use the telepractice, if we rely on some static material, right? But mm-hmm. in you know, in person therapy that we are more used, more dynamic material. So then that material could be different than we need to investigate too. And then number three, uh, I think that, you know, there's a certain, you know, target sound, which is very challenging, even in in person, for example, like R sound, right? Our therapy is, you know, historically very, very difficult. And then, um, you know, even when I teach, when I teach, you know, speech on disorder course, um, I ask a student that, you know, how you guys teach, you know, our sound, you know, do you still, you know, ask a child to spread leaves and then don't make a round leaves and then just to say, or, you know, curl that, you know, tongue and then make a er sound, you know, but we are not, you know, spread the leaves when we say our sound, right? Yeah. Right. So, so in, even in person, therapy setting, the R treating is hard, but in that, you know, telepractice setting, um, we are limited to, you know, some tactile cues, right? Some visual cues is also very limited, but it's, so then telepractice is maybe, you know, effective for the more conceptualization, you know, concept, teaching concept versus the more, you know, direct, you know, feed, certain gesture needed some direct feedbacks, you know, multi-sensory feedback, you know, that is my next question, actually. So we need the more systematic research to find that, you know, what is the, you know, more the effectiveness, the level of effectiveness, maybe, you know, for different target or different population. Another population for my NIH grant is, uh, you know, children with a club palate who really rely on multisensory feedbacks, right? right? So when we teach club palate children that bottom line, you know, principle is uh, you see it, hear it, and then feel it, you know? So yeah. we try to, you know, teach how they produce and then what is the, you know, how we produce correct sound based on these are three feedbacks, three types of feedback, but in telepractice, how we are going to say, how do you feel it? And then how going to, you know, see it, you know, clearly. So that is uh, actually my big question 
you know, in my NIH grant in funded, you know, projects. So let's see how it works. <laughs> well, I think that is so nice when we can have some um, evidence to make our clinical decisions. Like you said, that people say, you know, oh, just try teletherapy. It works for most people. And to actually have some data behind it to make some good clinical decisions, I think is so important. So thank you for being the person or one of the people doing that research. Mm -hmm. Yes. So that um, we like to provide some evidence to guide the practitioner, you know, what to do, you know, and then also as a researcher, my another, you know, goal is to provide some uh, systematic, you know, uh, protocol so that, you know, when they implement, especially beginners, you know, beginner clinicians implement, you know, uh, therapy using telehealth, if they follow our, you know, guideline that right. help them to follow, you know, easily. So in this uh, uh, NIH proposal that, I'm not just doing uh, intervention, you know, I'm not just uh, investigated the intervention effect. Actually, we prepare several useful, you know, tools and then, you know, uh, materials and then, you know, so that uh, even while we are, you know, implementing intervention, we're going to use it, you know, the one that we developed, but also after we finish, we are going to make it public, you know, so that everybody going to use that, you know, programs. So that is, mm -hmm. and I think because of even before the pandemic, but especially because of the pandemic, there were people coming into telepractice with a wide variety or no (laughs) training (laughs) before they started. Mm -hmm. And I, I think being able to say this is what we need to do to be someone who is a good telepractitioner to be competent in that um, Mm -hmm. is really important too in a direction that we need to go in. Yeah. And then I don't know whether you um, realize the, um, this fact, but, you know, we assume, we assume under COVID everybody, you know, most everybody use telepractice so that we assume that they are very fully familiar with the, you know, existing telepractice platform, but not. <laughs> not, that is not true. You know, um, so when I ask uh, students whether when they implement, you know, telepractice, I ask uh, how they do, you know, so then there's a several, you know, interactive function. And then most of the, you know, practitioner with the telepractice expertise, you know, know about that. But amazingly, you know, that kind of information is not well known to, you know, someone, you know, some some students and practitioners. So that what they do is when I ask them to, you know, uh, um, uh, yeah, so when I ask, uh, you know, especially when we work with the children, that it is very helpful that we ask a child to, you know, draw the circle and then colors, you know, so that, you know, more in- develop the interactive, you know, uh, therapy. But uh, one of the, you know, graduate clinician told me that she never used that, you know, kind of function during telepractice. Right. So we need to, you know, 
make it, I think that we need to more educate it, you know, how we utilize the, you know, telepractice platform. Mm-hmm. And so along those lines, yeah. has, has your graduate program tried to train more grad students in telepractice just because of this is where the world is moving? Yes. <laughs> Actually, I'm teaching, but I developed a very unique class called the clinical instrumentation. Mm-hmm. So I really believe, you know, speech language pathology should rely on instrument, you know, for diagnosis, you know, assessment and then intervention. But so these are instruments may be more popular and then used in certain areas, such as, you know, uh, dysphagia, you know. Uh, or, you know, voice, you know, uh, disorders, right. but, you know, school age, you know, speech intervention, how many people use the instrument? Not very many people use the instrument. So, but I, uh, I like to teach the usefulness of the instrument, such as acoustic program and then ultrasonography, you know, mm-hmm. And then one of the um, technology that I also teach in my class was telepractice from 2015. So from before pandemic, Mm-hmm. The students in, you know, Texas State University Health Science Center, they have learned how to implement, you know, telepractice. And then small project that I assigned uh, was the student, a pair of the students, you know, play like a clinician and then, you know, client so that I ask them to um, make a, some kind of, you know, um, therapy session, you know, mm-hmm. so that you know, using all of these, uh, you know, skills and then technique and option, they have to, you know, implement, you know, uh, some mock session. So that is their, you know, project. So, and then I watch, observe their recording and then, you know, evaluate whether they implement all of these uh, different functions. So uh, I believe, you know, I can say that students at Texas State University Health Science Center, at least they fully, you know, learn how to implement telepractice effectively mm-hmm. since That's great. 2015. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's so few universities that had really adopted any type of telepractice coursework or even practicum before mm-hmm. the pandemic. And of course, once the pandemic hit, then everyone wants to know how to do this. Right. And, and we're seeing more uh, universities starting to incorporate it. But my, my fear is that as we come out of the pandemic, that the universities will sort of say, okay, we, we got through that. We don't have to worry about telepractice anymore. And I think that is the wrong way to think about this because mm-hmm. telehealth is here to stay and we're going to be seeing more and more of it as we go forward. Right. I mean, if any department to make that decision, then you know, that's very unfortunate, but I still believe that telepractice, you know, will stay, you know, strong because, uh, you know, it has a lot of other benefits too. So then as a telepractice expert, we need to really advocate how useful, you know, this service delivery model. And then as a researcher, my job is really provide a strong evidence so that, uh, practitioner and then other researchers, you know, um, 
conduct them, you know, conduct the telepractice more with the confidence, you know, and then fully understanding about the pros and cons and then write up, you know, population. Yeah. So. I'm more positive, you know, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'm positive too. I think, I think we'll, we'll have more universities, you know, staying with it and trying to develop more and more uh, mm-hmm. coursework. And, you know, you know, the, the problem with our training programs is that we're trying to, to force everything, you know, the whole scope of practice into a two-year program. Mm-hmm. And and the scope of practice is so wide, it's and deep <laughs> that we can't. I mean, it's just you know trying to add a course on, on anything is almost impossible because it's so full already. So mm-hmm. um, I think we're going to have to look at that uh, from a an accreditation from an ASHA perspective and and see what can be done. Yes, I think that is a. Yeah, I'm also CAA site visitors, you know. <laughs> so I'm I'm reviewing, you know, all of these are curriculums of the, you know, mm-hmm. uh, school. But you know, that's why I said that I developed a very unique, you know, uh, class called the clinical instrumented in tele, you know, uh, including telepractice because uh, in graduate program, you know, is this instrumentation, you know. It's a really, you know, received less attention because simply we have so many, you know, pathology courses to to be covered during graduate program. Yeah, right. but I think they should be more balanced. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I would agree. Well, Suan, now we get to the real reason why we have you on. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what we do, we call this our moment of Zen. Oh, you muted Todd. We lost your audio. Am I back? Yeah. Okay. Don't know why that happened. Uh, so we're going to, we're going to ask you a series of questions that we've asked uh, a lot of our former guests and, um, and you can answer in any way you'd like either short answer or a long answer. It's up to you. Okay. Okay. So what is the most used app on your phone? Most used app on my phone? Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I think it's YouTube. YouTube? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, what was the last TV show or movie that you streamed? Last, I, I mean, it, I mean, you know, okay. So, <laughs> I'm not very familiar with my, you know, these are questions that I involve my personal thing. Um, uh, last movie or TV show, but the, or just name one that you like, movie or TV show that you like. This is just for fun or what? For fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is just for fun. Just I'm to, just very to... serious for, you know, I'm, I'm more comfortable with the academic, you know, my oh, professional I know. question I know. rather than, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, the squid, 
do you know the squid game squid, squid game yeah. Yeah. Squid, game. Uh, squid yeah. game yeah uh-huh i yeah that is a i think that, that is the latest movie that Last i watched uh-huh. and it's a it was a south korean show yeah, right originally I mean, yeah I'm, yeah that's a made by south korean director yes so mm-hmm. that was good it's very popular <laughs> I, I watched, I made it through the first episode and then I went to a roller skating rink recently with my kids and they played yeah. the red light, green light game. Mm-hmm. And I was like, apparently no one has seen the squid game <laughs> or they would not be playing this. <laughs> has a whole different meaning after you watch that episode. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so, Sue Ann, what's a favorite book? Just. What are what are you reading? What are you reading? What do you like to read, or do you like to read uh, mysteries or history or what? What do you like to read? You know what? Actually, um, I have to be very frank. I'm not really, you know, um, you know, from since you know doctors when I was doctor students, I mm-hmm. read the newspaper. You know, in a faculty, you know, in a uh, in a classroom, and one of the uh, professor who I really respect, actually, mm-hmm. he say, "Doctor students read the newspaper." <laughs> so since then, I don't think I read any other, you know, book other than my major. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't Here's, read much books. Sorry. So you, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. So next question is: Yeah. If you could create mm-hmm. one law or behavior that everyone had to follow, okay. what would it be? Ah, one law. Mm-hmm. Everybody should respect each other. Very good. I agree. Nicely said. Um, who would you like to have dinner with, dead or alive? So, I yeah, we are about to have a dinner, um, but um, I wish I have a you know dinner with my mom mm. because you know COVID. I haven't visited them for a long time, and then she she passed away, but. Mm. You know, I haven't seen my family for a long time, so I miss my family. I wish sure. I have, you know, uh, have them for today's dinner. Mm-hmm. Right. That's great. Well, hopefully soon you'll be able to do that. Yes. Thank um, you. I think I know the answer to this next question, but okay. I'll let you answer. So what was the scariest thing you've ever done? And you can define scary any way you want. So was was. Uh, flying to Columbus with your huge trunks that were bigger than you. Mm-hmm. Was that the scariest thing? The scariest thing. Yeah, I rarely cry, but uh, actually the scariest thing is uh, uh, that one was exciting. Actually, I enjoyed, you know, enjoyed mm-hmm. my uh, adventure, you know, but right. the scariest moment was after I arrived, you know, Columbus, and then uh, stay the first night was mm-hmm. the scariest. And then I cried, and then I thought <laughs> maybe my I, my decision was mistakes. Yeah, uh, that was my scary moment. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Well, I'm glad you got through that and you stuck with it. So okay, 
Um, where is the most exotic or farthest place you've been? Oh, exotic place. Exotic. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm. I'm. You know, I'm world adventurer. You know, I know. And I yeah. Travel, travel a lot. You know, mm-hmm. even by myself. You know, still, mm-hmm. yeah. So I went to, you know, exotic place. Uh, you can say um, I went to Mongolia, you know, and then I stay with the girl, you know, uh, with the, you know, people. That was uh, very different. And then in Vietnam, um, you know, I visited, you know, many different places, you know, when I was a Fulbright scholar. And then in China, okay, so exotic place. I think uh, the most exotic place that I have been is uh, probably Peru Machu Picchu. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed, you know, Peru. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. I've never been, so I would love, I would love to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, they, they still don't have elevators up uh, there, do they? <laughs> what? He's he's waiting for the elevators to come, and then he'll go. Yeah, when they so when they install the elevators, there. then then I'll go. <laughs> Just kidding. So, um, if you didn't choose your current profession, mm-hmm. what would you like to do? Yeah. What would be your second? My second. Uh, yeah, okay, so probably, you know, um, if I could get into medical school, probably I wish, you know, I'd like to be a doctor, you know, surgeon. Uh-huh. So That's amazing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. A surgeon, wow, that's, I don't doubt it. Um, <laughs> what is a pet peeve of yours? I'm sorry, what's a pet peeve? Pet peeve. Uh, like pet peeve. A, something that annoys you. Something that annoys oh. you that people do. Okay. Like people that eat with their mouth open and <laughs> do weird stuff. Okay, let me think. Um, you know, you know, because uh uh Okay, so I'm pretty much, you know, uh, tolerable whatever people, you know, uh, behavior because uh, sometimes, you know, each country has a different disturbing, you know, behaviors. But I try to feel that that is a very natural, you know, natural to them. Yeah. But um, one thing that I was uh, really disturbed was in Vietnam. And people sang, you know, sing a song loud, you know, during night, you know, so that during was, the night. Uh, yeah, during the night. So that was a uh, uh, very hard to, you know, tolerate, <laughs> you know, sure. but it happened, you know, not nothing happened in the United States. So, yeah, but that was a that was a little hard to, you know, tolerate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to add a, one question for you because of your okay. unique background. What's been the what's been the biggest or what has been or was the biggest surprise about moving to the United States? 
biggest surprise. Yeah. So, so your idea before you came, and then when you got here, uh -huh. Uh -huh. What, what what surprised you the most? Mm -hmm. I see. I can tell you. Um, the biggest surprise. I'm still very surprised that people Americans are not very interested in you know international matter, other mm -hmm. countries. You mm -hmm. know, and then not very interested in travel to other countries. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm the very you know. I'm very curious about, you know, other countries and then always, you know, want to go, you know, other country and then meet other people, you know, in new places. But um, even, you know, very young, you know, college students, you know, if I want to ask which country do you want to go, then I never thought about it. You know, they, you know, they don't, you know, even don't like to try other, you know, thing. And then other don't like to try other, you know, food, you know, and they just uh, want to, you know, want to enjoy what they feel, you know, used to mm -hmm. it, you know, that is uh, something that I try, you know, um, feel that how come it's uh, learning other thing, you know, learning the world, you know, what happened to the world, how come it's not very interesting to you, you know, so that, that was uh, something still I do not very much understand, you know. But, but you know, the way that I, you know, interpret it is because United States is already 50 different countries. So I was gonna, that was, was going to be my hypothesis, too, is that some right. of that, like, so then, countries come to us, so right. we don't then need to go it's out. It's already international within yes. nation, you know. Yes. So that's why, you know. Maybe, you know, but Korea is a very small country. You know, I think that we naturally like to get out, you know, yeah. so mm -hmm. that's, that's why, that's why it's internally, you know, uh, different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, I, I would say, yeah, I, I've seen that all my life as well. And just a, a lack of interest in mm -hmm. international things. And some students just have no desire to travel or anything like that. So mm -hmm. last question. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Can you say one more time? If heaven exists. Heaven exists. Okay. What do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Okay. I see. Um, that is actually what I really like to hear. And then um, I like to hear God say, you did a good job and you fulfill your mission. That's why you came to see me. Yeah. So I really believe that I have a mission to accomplish it, you know. And then my journey was has been, you know, very challenging and it was not easy. But there's a reason that I went through, and then there's a certain goal that I'm going to. Yeah. Right. Well, so and you, you're one of my heroes. I, I just really appreciate all that you're doing, and and I just really respect the journey that you're on, the journey that you've had, and 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 where you're going to go because you're going to continue to do some wonderful things, some great research, and to help move speech pathology forward. Okay, thank you. And I telepractice will. forward. Telepractice. So yes. Yeah, and that's what we need. So thank yes. you. 
Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for inviting me. You're quite welcome. I want to thank Dr. Sue Ann Lee for joining us on the podcast. Dr. Lee is on faculty at Texas Tech University, and she's doing some great work and great research in support of telepractice. So watch for her name on her articles and and shoot her an email and thank her for all the work that she's doing. And thank you for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Please leave us a five-star review. That helps us to attract new listeners and new subscribers. And that's what we want to do is to reach more people. And we'll be back again next week with another episode that I think, no, I know you'll enjoy. Until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.